Hi, this is Robert Reese, and welcome to the Middle Market Transformative CEO Show with my co-host, Joe Brusuelis, Chief Economist of RSM. We interview top middle market CEOs so you could gain insights onto how to grow your own business and become a transformative CEO. Hello, America. I'm Robert Reese, and I'm with my co-host, Joe Brusuelis, on the Middle Market Transformative CEO Show. We're here today with Chris McCann, who is the CEO of 1-800-Flowers. How are you, Chris? I'm, I'm great. Thank you very much. And Joe, if you could start off, give a definition of what the middle market really is in America. All right. So when we talk about the middle market, what we're talking about is the cohort of firms. There's about 200,000 of them that derive revenues of anywhere between 10 million and 2 billion. Now they make up about 40% of the entire economy and they employ one third of the entire labor market. So I call that the beating heart and soul of the US real economy. And our friend Chris here is a proud member of that. Thank you. So Chris, tell us a little bit about how you're adjusting to the digital economy, the new economy. How's that impacting your area of services? Well, I think as we look at our business, and clearly as we've evolved as a business, we've always been on the forefront of leading change in that digital economy. So, you know, if you look at 1-800-Flowers, it really go back to its origins. We disrupted the floral industry by coming out with a new model that pre predated the quote-unquote digital economy. It was the telephonic commerce economy. Mm -hmm. uh, but we saw things change, and we saw how we could embrace a technology like that and disrupt an industry like we did and change it overnight, become a go from a handful of flower shops here in the New York metropolitan area to go becoming a national company overnight. So when the digital economy began to emerge, we said, okay, we need to get involved early. So we launched a store on, if you take out your history books here, we launched a store on CompuServe in 1991. CompuServe, now wait a minute, that even predates <laughs> That's a long ways back. We, we, we were the first merchant to sell any product of any kind on AOL in 1994, and then we launched our first website based on the Netscape technology in 95. So it's always been our culture, our DNA, to embrace new technologies that we think have the potential. We're not smart enough to know which are the winners, but we think it may have the potential to change consumer behavior. And we've been riding that wave of change. We've said as a company that we've gone through four waves of change. Today, I think we're in the fifth wave of change that's dramatically changing the way we interact with our customers. All right, let's go to that. That's really interesting. So within a generation, we go from telephone to desktop to mobile. What's the fifth wave, and where do you think this is going to go? Am I going to be ordering flowers for my significant other off a pair of glasses that I have? Are we really going in completely different ways that the public doesn't quite yet conceive? That, that could be. Uh, you know, glasses, computing glasses, interactive glasses could be one of the ways of the future. But when we look at the four, four waves that we've gone through, first brick and mortar retail, telephonic commerce, e-commerce, mobile and social commerce, and today we think we're in the midst of the fifth wave of change for us called conversational commerce. And that's really the combination of a confluence of a couple of different technologies and buzzwords we've heard about for a while. Big data, analytics, specifically predictive analytics, AI we hear lots about today, and then voice, kind of coming back to telephonic, but voice as the interface of the future. And you bring those together and you bring them onto messaging platforms, you bring them onto voice computing platforms. So three years ago now, we dipped our toe, as we like to always. We have an acronym that we use to try and guide the culture in our company called ELAC. Engage, 
learn, adapt, commercialize, and engage early. So three years ago, we launched a bot in Facebook's Messenger platform. We launched two weeks after that a voice skill on Amazon's Alexa platform. Two weeks after that, we launched our own AI gift concierge called Gwyn based on IBM's Watson platform. So we've got involved early. We've been learning. We're adapting. We're commercializing those products, and we're seeing strong adoption of that, which I think is about to really accelerate as well. So when I go home this afternoon, I can say, hey, Alexa, and that will that'll pop up. Say, hey, Alexa, I'd like to send Tina 1-800-Flowers. That's wonderful. Uh, so so let, let's talk a little about, about AI. Where do you see AI changing your business? You've obviously going through these five different transitions and phases. What might it look like in five, ten years? Five, ten years is an awfully long time. I'm not <laughs> sure I can see that far out. Uh, but, but I also think that that five to ten year time frame that we often use in conversation is accelerating. So if I just jump back, not specific to AI, but to specific to overall conversational commerce, what, the reason why I think it's accelerating is because we're bringing capabilities to people to interact with, to engage with brands in a place they already are. If you think about the early days of the web, we all built these websites and then nobody knew how to find them until companies like Google came along and figured out how you could get there. In the case of messaging platforms, everybody is there already. You know, Facebook and has over a billion, <coughs> billion people a month on Facebook Messenger. Uh, all these messaging platforms, 15 million text messages are sent every minute. All right, 50% of American consumers today are using some sort of voice computing interface, and that's about to accelerate. So we're bringing capabilities to where people already are, so that will help the adoption acceleration. AI specifically, I think, we're using AI right now in certain places like on how to really get more intelligent and more effective in our marketing capabilities, especially in bid marketing and search marketing and things like that. AI could be a great tool. It's machine learning AI capabilities. Uh, how do we utilize that in now in our consumer interactions? It's still very early for us, but we got a good learning from the AI product we launched called GWIN. And again, everything has to be an acronym. Uh, it stands for Gifts When you need, and that was based on IBM's platform. We got good learning from that. One of the cl clear early learnings we got was the consumer wants to know, just tell me if I'm dealing with a bot versus I'm dealing with a human. Don't try and trick me. Just let me know. I'll, and most of them choose, would rather deal with the bot. They just want to know it. Most people do. Yes. They ask you. That's what we get, especially from the younger consumer. And think about it. Now, now we can get great capabilities, great service consistent at scale. You know, and I, I, and I come from the call center operations of how we grew our company. That's hard to do. So now if I could get somebody interacting with an intelligent voice application that's driven by AI so it gets better and better all the time, I think that delivers a great CX. To so there's a scholar at MIT by the name of Eric Brynjolfsson who's written a terrific book called Machine Platform Crowd. Everyone should read it. It sounds like you are now progressing, or progressing down the road towards AI is going to begin to make independent decisions in terms of basic management decisions. Where are you making decisions on allocating capital for marketing? Mm -hmm. Which platforms? You know, as someone who runs a company, right? How comfortable are you right now turning over day-to-day -day decisions to essentially the machines? Uh, very comfortable. I think, you know, just as we've been turning over to algorithms and things like that, once we get the the algorithm down, once we get the programming down that we're confident in it, 
and you got you have to you know there's obviously some test and trial that needs to be done till you get to that certain level of confidence but I'm extremely confident in doing that and moving in that direction all right so this is really interesting so where are you getting your best bang for the buck in terms of advertising on digital but what would just which platform do you think that the machines are saying this is where you want to be? Uh, Facebook. Facebook. Yeah, Facebook by far is still the, one of the best performing platforms out there, and that's not just for us. That's basically every advertiser that I speak to, <laughs> and you see it in their results. You know, you, you know, they get bashed in the press for certain things that you know the press loves to bash them about at different times, whether it be privacy, which is a major issue, uh, but the results just keep coming in, and it, it, it's it's an incredible company. All right, so you're clearly on the cutting edge of technology and with respect to service provision, right? Where are you in terms of hiring people? What sort of skills are you looking for given you're clearly going down a different path than those companies are? Yeah, I think that we'll always, we've always had the nature of, you know, first and foremost, fostering a culture in the company that attracts the right talent. And we've been very fortunate as an entrepreneurial-led company to really foster a culture of innovation. Uh, that helps us attract the right talent. And the talent that we're looking to attract are the people who have an intellectual curiosity, uh, people who like change and embrace mm -hmm. change. Uh, we've been doing this for a long time. Where we go from, uh, we used to have this uh, management philosophy called the Reebok philosophy, and it was cross-training. And literally, when we were more made really a call center company, we would tell everybody a couple of weeks after Mother's Day, stand up, take one job to your right. And people needed to be comfortable with that. And they would get upset, this is not what I was here for. And then two weeks later, oh, I see how this is fitting. So that kind of embracement, embracing of change, intellectual curiosity. What we say, we're looking for people that like to have fun also. At the end of the day, we're in retail. <laughs> Let's have fun with it. It's not, we're not saving people's lives, but we are dealing with people's emotions. And people need to recognize that because at the end of the day, what we do is we're delivering millions of smiles every day to many, many customers. Okay, one minute before break, so I want to ask you the culture. So here you're talking about using bots and AI. You've always been known for amazing customer service. That's like the heart of what 1-800-Flower is about. Does, this, does the digital help you or does it hurt you? It enhances us. Uh, if I look at our call center activity that we use, I still call it a call center. I think everybody else calls it a contact center now. Uh, we haven't really reduced the number of people. Well, you know, if you just take the Flowers brand, 95 to 97 percent of our customers come to us through some sort of digital channel now. So only three to five percent will call us on the telephone. But I'm still handling email. I'm still handling chat. I'm still handling messages, and we have humans doing that. Now, some of that will get automated. Some of that will get uh, turn, you know, automated by utilizing a bot. So we have a bot in those platforms, I choose, as I mentioned earlier. Um, so I think it enhances the experience, the customer experience, and allows us to have our people focus on the more complex issues. Do, do you match the bot like a certain woman for man or something? Or? Not yet, but we're going in that direction. Okay. And we're about to take a break. When we come back, we're going to speak more with Chris McCann. And if you don't know how to get in touch with them, you could be part that 3% pick up the phone call 1-800-Flowers. Back in a few. Hi, this is Robert Reese and Joe Brusuelis on the Middle Market Transformative CEO Show and we're here today with Chris McCann. So, Chris, earlier in the show we mentioned Facebook and actually I saw Mark Zuckerberg was talking and he was saying how isn't it interesting how 
1-800-Flowers is the one company that kept its brand name as 1-800-Flowers, even though only 3% of your business comes over the phone. What made you make that decision when you moved completely into sure. digital? And we still make that decision every day, right? Because we're always looking at the relevancy of our brand or our brands. I mean, we have a great family of brands, including Harry and David, Cheryl's Cookies, the Popcorn Factory, and a number of other gourmet food brands. But when we look at the 1-800-Flowers brand, the younger generation of the consumer today, the millennials today, probably don't, don't even understand what 1-800 stands for. Mm. Um, but, <laughs> but it really has transcended to become a brand. Uh, and people see it as a brand. They don't see it as a telephone number anymore. So when we look at, you know... You were the first, really, to do that back then in 1976. Yeah, right. Well, more mid-'80s when we embraced the 800 That's service. Right. 76, we had our re- the beginning of our retail so. stores. But, yeah, I remember one time when we were acquiring the business and acquiring the number, Jim being on an airplane, my brother Jim, on an airplane with a great advertising executive, and he told him what we were doing around 800 Flowers. And the guy says, well, why 800? Why not a thousand flowers or fifteen hundred? It just didn't click. So we've gone the opposite, where we we embraced the phone number when people really didn't understand it. We created a brand, and now that what the brand was built on, a phone number really doesn't matter anymore. It's the attributes of the brand that we created. People see us as an innovative company, and you mentioned before, Robert, we're a company that was built on customer service. We have a caring team of people who are just obsessed with service. So prior to the break, we were talking about, you know, your, your digital strategy, and I'm thinking, well, who writes your algorithms? Are you guys doing it in-house? Are you guys partnering with somebody, or are you partnering with the, the platform these days? Uh, the majority of it would be done in-house. It depends on who the partner might be. Okay. So I want, I want everybody to hear this. 1-800-Flowers is writing their own, creating their own digital content and algorithms. I would imagine when most of you turn tuned in to listen, that was the last thing that you would have expected. That gives you a sense of just how dynamic firms are in, in the United States and in the middle market these days. I mean, talk a little bit about that. You got a big smile on your face because you know where I'm going with this is that this is truly transformational. Right. what you're doing. I, I think we've, we've always done that as a company. We're very fortunate that the culture of innovation we've built has begotten a culture of reinvention, how we're constantly reinventing our company. And that's what we urge people to do. So we have a big investment in our technology team, and we look for them to constantly change the way we're doing business. And so we see this changing the way we're going to interface with our consumers today, just as we went from telephonic to e-commerce to mobile commerce, now to this world of conversational commerce. It's it's going to be look radically different than it does today. I mean, your business is very gender sensitive, and I think that's a fair statement. Because we're really early in the, the era of artificial intelligence, one of the things we're learning is artificial intelligence can be very gender insensitive. Mm-hmm. What's your view on how we're going to work around that? What's the innovation that you're thinking is going to help um, be quite well sensitive to the differences out there in terms of how people buy and why they buy and when they buy. Well, I think one of our big initiatives that we're focused on is how do we personalize the experience? How do we do that starting without AI capabilities, but then bring AI capabilities to it as well? So utilize the learnings that we're getting on how we personalize. So gender might be a part of that. I think it will, it will be. You know, does, does a person choose to interact with a, uh, an AI bot of some sort that is the same gender as them? That might be of interest. I don't know if that is that big of a deal right now. What they want, though, 
is the capability to interact in a very efficient manner and get the information they want that's personalized and relevant to them. Are, are you going to get, like, if someone calls from Brooklyn, they're like, are you on Toy Toy Street? Will you get bots that have an accent similar to people? We, we, we can. <laughs> you can, uh, but can. you're not deciding to yet. No, I think that we're not deciding to yet because we haven't moved down that road yet. Uh, but I go back even to the same thing. We've been doing this for a long time, really, on the call side of our business. And, you know, while the flowers business is mostly an e-commerce business, Harry and David still handles about 25% of their business on the telephone right now. And what we've always done is we have our call people, call center people located around the country is where we can steer. So I'll try and steer us calls from the south to people that are located in the south. Mm -hmm. So you get not only an accent, but you get a familiarity of customs and where you're dealing with people. I think this same thing will need to be built into the technology. Okay, so I'm going to throw a curve because I'm going to ask a question on economics, and Joe Bruce Whaler says he knows the chief economist. He might do the follow-up, but I want to get in the game. So you're talking about this digital model that you're using with AI. What are the economics to a CEO of having that versus having less digital involved? You obviously have serious capital expenditures. Well, yes, you have capital expenditures, but I think also you gain high efficiency and high effectiveness out of both. So efficiency is one thing, but effectiveness of your marketing capabilities, we talked about that earlier, is a good example. If my AI capability can make my search bidding more effective than I can because I can compute on a much more faster, much faster basis, then that's going to help pay the ROI on the capital investment. But I'd ask Joe also, where you, you see from an economic point of view, and you talked about the middle markets to open the show, how do you see the technology revolution, the digital revolution that we're still going through affecting middle market businesses? Is it, is it helping? Is it, uh, it? Well, I think it's, it's facilitating opportunities for growth, okay. but it's identifying where those opportunities are. A lot of middle markets aren't in what we'd call areas that are contiguous with the new economy. They being be more attached to the old traditional economy. When I say traditional economy, I mean construction, mineral extraction, energy. Right? So it's helped compressing uh, time and space. Because you don't always have to be there. You can reach out in order to, to grow and look at these markets. So, you know, when I do my research, what do I, what do I find out? You want to be in zip codes that have women with one or more degrees, age 25 to 44. That's where you're going to have the fastest growth. As a matter of fact, in those areas, the growth in the new economy doesn't even look like the macro statistics. Right. They have faster rates of growth, lower rates of employment, extraordinary uh, higher levels of productivity, and even you know lower inflation, right? Mm -hmm. um, when you look at the other areas of the economy, not so much. So it really does help drive decision-making, but it's on a case-by-case -case basis. It's not yet systematic. You really have to go CEO to CEO. But even in some of those uh, traditional economy businesses, mm -hmm. you know, I, let's just look at how technology is being transforming the agriculture business. That's right. I mean, it's affecting just about every kind of business. You may not utilize it in how you interface with the consumer, but you'll utilize these new technologies in how you operate your business. And well. that's the number one challenge is getting them to utilize the new technologies, integrate and expand. I think for CEOs that are open, that want to do this, I mean, the sky's the limit, right? True. Yes. And so I want to ask you real quick here, um, where's your growth market? Where's the next big thing going to come from? Well, for us right now, our focus is on really, again, how do we help our customers express, connect, and celebrate? So we're, in, so we're the leader in the floral market. 
We're a leader in the gourmet food market, and that's where we're getting good growth coming out of our business right now, out of both of those channels, actually. But now we're starting to move into other products and services beyond that, and we're doing that in a marketplace strategy. So we've launched, we've launched three new businesses in the last year and a half, Simply Chocolate, Personalization Universe, and Goodsy. And these are real marketplaces that we're bringing lots of different products onto our platform, into our ecosystem, so that we can help more people solve more of their gifting needs for more of the important people in their life. And there you have it. A pleasure having you as a guest on the Middle Market Transformative CEO Show. Thank you very much. I just love the conversation. Thanks for listening. Hope you gained valuable insights to grow your business. To listen to commercial-free podcasts of this and other CEO interviews, go to www.rsmus.com. Thank you.